Welcome to the grand finale of Which Decades is Tops for Pops Season 2. Nick and Trev are here with me to have a good old chimwag about what it all means. Now, this isn't a visual medium, but I do need to tell you that I am wearing the only existing copy in the world of the Which Decade is Tops for Pops t-shirt with the fantastic logo designed by Lucy Pepper adorning my Fruit of the Loom black T-shirt. The reason I've got it is because last weekend I went down to the London Podcast Festival to watch the live show from my favourite music podcast, Chart Music, as a Top of the Pops podcast. And I thought it would be a good idea to go to the London Podcast Festival wearing a T-shirt with the logo of this podcast on it, because people might say to me, oh, that's an interesting T-shirt. Tell me about it. And I go, well... Glad you asked me that because I've got this podcast. However, when I went to the T-shirt printing shop that is actually further up our street and showed her the graphic, there was a sort of sucking in of teeth. And she says, nah, you see, I can't do that. You need sublimated printing for that. I only do vinyl. You'll need to find a sublimated place. I had no idea there were these different areas of T-shirt printing. So I ordered a copy online. Didn't arrive till Monday. But tell you what, next year's London Podcast Festival, I'll be there. You do look more fabulous than normal. Oh, thank uh, you. And yeah, it's set off really well by the duvet backdrop that you've got going on. It's slumberware, possibly. Slumberware, yeah. Right. And while we eagerly await the crucial subscriber to Patreon.com, which decade tops, that will take us into historic double figures. Just thought I mentioned that at the top of the episode. We will launch into our final look at the final state of the Master Scoreboard for Season 2. And excitingly, we had a dead heat numerically for last place between the 1960s and the 2000s. Now, as you know, not having dead heats, I've had to invoke some tie-breaking mechanics. So... I looked at how the 1960s and the 2000s fared against each other in the voting for each one of these 10 episodes. Again, dead heat. 60s beat the 2000s in five episodes. 2000s beat the 1960s in five other episodes. So then what I did, I went back to the individual scores for all the songs from the 60s and the 2000s over the course of season two. I totted them up. Now that gave us a clear fifth place and a clear last place. And I have to tell you that in last place, via the photo finish tiebreaker, we have the 2000s. Now, the 2000s didn't have any winners this season. What's more, they didn't have any winners in season one either. That makes them the only one of our six decades never to have won an episode of this podcast. They did, however, have two losers in season two. That was Escape, Enrique Iglesias and Burn by Usher. The 2000s, because I've totted this up as well, the 2000s were also Nick's least favourite decade. So Nick is very much in line with our listeners. So I think, Nick, I'll start with you to tell us about the 2000s. 
It's a funny one, isn't it, the 2000s? Because it doesn't feel long enough ago that we have a hazy glow of nostalgia for it. So at the moment, it's just sitting in this sort of... It, it hasn't come full circle, has it? It hasn't come out the other side. of uh, It was naff, but we love it. And we haven't been to a 2000s night anywhere, have we? I mean, what would you play? So it, it is a little bit weird. There's a couple of years of the 2000s that are some of my absolute favourites for music. 2004, I think, was one. 2006, I think. Stuff came out that we absolutely love that obviously just hasn't turned up here. I think I only gave the 2000s points in three occasions. I have slightly come round to a couple of them. The, the ironic song that we covered, Stay With Me, I perhaps like slightly more than I did at the time. I can see perhaps a little bit about what he was trying to do. And I think at the time it would have been okay. So I've slightly come around to that. I think because I don't work with Darude Sandstorm every week, I've always liked it. But having heard it again, I've listened to it more on a sort of social level and stuff and it's just an incredible tune that so it's difficult for me because it's not a tool of my work well i tried playing it some at work and they felt like they were having a heart attack so uh, that didn't really work and i think the only real song from the 2000s that i had any real passion for in the entire episode was the gareth gates one that trev absolutely hated so yeah a funny one you know, everything becomes cool again at some point, doesn't it? So there will be a time where the 2000s and the stuff from it and Will Young and Gareth Gates and, you know, S Club 7 are cool again. But maybe not yet. Well, saying that, S Club 7 are about to tour, aren't they? So yeah. maybe it is cool. And busted. And busted at the time of recording. I think they're number one in the midweek album charts. Well, they're neck and neck with Olivia Rodrigo anyway. It is interesting because at the moment, in you know sort of mainstream town center clubs the, the likes of which i play that music is gold it's reached that nostalgia level you've got kids who are sort of 18 upwards and it's the tunes that they've grown up with there is only you know i'm looking through sex on fire is an anthem whatever you think about it but that's kind of outside of a time zone that's so big I would, I would almost say it's a modern classic track to use uh, Mike's phrase. Um, but the one that leaps out of this is um, Sweet Escape, Gwen Stefani, which is it's like a pop stand. You know, I mean, that's just a great pop tune. But then there's not a lot of other great examples. You know, you've got the outliers. The ironic track didn't do it for me. Uh, I thought H2O was, was all right, but, you know, wasn't perhaps the strongest of all the slightly garagey dance floor bangers that came out i'm absolutely with you i think it will start to sound better it just depends what the randomizer gives you there's none really from the noughties that grew on me because i knew most of them inside out but there were three tracks that i particularly did not like from this season one of them was i'm afraid gareth gates and i can't remember it i couldn't tell you what it goes like and i know nick absolutely loved it but that's what makes these things interesting isn't it i wonder whether there's a the stuff from the early 2000s is sort of coming round because, as you say, there's kids in my office in their mid-20s who love McFly and the Hoosiers and all that stuff from maybe the early 2000s. But the late 2000s maybe just still sounds naff. Maybe the ironics and the dizzies and the stuff from the later period hasn't come full circle mm. quite yet, maybe. Dizzy Rascal's a case in point. It's his weakest song. The early Dizzy Rascal, he had stuff to say. And then once he got hooked up with Calvin Harris, made some dance bangers, you know, absolute massive hits that that are still working now. You know, they're pretty solid gold. But we got the charity record with James Corden and the murdering A Tears for Fears song. 
look at the draw, isn't it? Yeah, I think the 2000s have uh, been ill-served by the randomizers today. I think it's very unfortunate that they've yet to score a winner in two seasons. I think in another week, Darude Sandstorm could have brought it home for them, but they were up against Freeze all right now. A bona fide classic track, if ever there was one. Gwen Stefani, the sweetest gate, that performed well. I think that could have won in a different week as well, but that was trounced by No Doubts Don't Speak. That was one of our strongest winners in the entire season. So, yeah, luck of the draw worked against them. I think it was a decent representation of what 2000s pop sounded like. You've got pop, R&B, hip-hop, rock, trance, baseline house, commercial dance. However... Despite the diversity, which is representative, most of this list still reads as pretty meh to me. There are two which I love, Darude Sandstorm and H2O and Platinum. There are two which I think are poor, Enrique Iglesias and Gareth Gates. The rest of them just kind of float about in the middle somewhere, not really provoking any strong reactions beyond it's okay. Yeah, I think the early 2000s are absolutely back. A former colleague of mine in her early 20s went to a 2000s party a few months ago. I've seen an advert for a Y2K club night, I think, in Nottingham. It's listing all the artists from right at the beginning of the decade. I think the late 2000s, well, they're getting a kicking at the moment in the light of a certain news story about a certain disgraced TV presenter turned YouTube demagogue and the culture of that decade is being very much reassessed. So the 2000s are getting a bad rep right now. But by the same token, I think some of the sweetness and innocence of the, the S Club 7 end of early 2000 pop is still bringing smiles to people's faces. Nothing will continue to do so. If I had to pull a DJ set out of the tunes that won, I think you've probably got the best shot at dance floor with the 2000s. I was trying to get through without mentioning how I feel about Darude Sandstorm, and I, I just can't, because I think really that's my favourite track of this entire session. I don't think it's the best track, but it's my favourite. September was that era, wasn't it? H2O, you've got a dance floor, mm. you've got Darude, you could dance to Dizzy Rascal. Yeah, Enrique does, you absolutely right, let the side down as well. Uh, that were another week one, wasn't it? I don't mind that. I was listening to it again today thinking, it's catchy. It reminds me of The Cause. You know when The Cause abandoned their Irish stuff entirely and just started doing like Breathless and radio? It sounds to me like that. But I don't think that's probably what Enrique intended to sound like The Cause. But it sort of does a bit, I think. I think it's fine. It was a shock result, I think, that the 2000s ended up polling last because pretty much all the way through this season when we've done the results bulletins and we've looked at the master scoreboard the 60s have been either absolute last or joint last but they just nudged into fifth position because i think marvin gay too busy thinking about my baby in the final episode just saved them a bit so here we go fifth position the 1960s 1960s didn't have any winners this season but they had two losers funnily enough both of the two losers were written by the same people, Howard and Blakely. So that's the herd. I don't want our loving to die. And Dave D last night in Soho. The 1960s were also Trev's least favourite decade this time. So Trev, start with you. When we're saying it wasn't a great run of uh, draws for the 2000s, I think the 60s had some real shockers. Mike Sarney is cringier 
than Come On England. <laughs> but then there's a couple of my favourite tunes and one of the ones that really grew on me, Ha Ha Said The Clown. And I'd like the first time I heard it and when I was sort of looking through the tracks, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that one still makes me go, oh, yeah, I could, I could cheerfully listen to that right now. But then there were just some forgettable ones. I can't remember the herd. What else did we have? Oh, House of the Rising Sun. Because that didn't perform very well, I seem to recall. That's, for me, classic track. That was one that really surprised me. Almost as much as I was surprised by everybody else hating Eagle Eye Cherry. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it surprises me that the 2000s came out under this lot of the 60s. But then it had an absolute banger at the end, didn't it, Marvin Gaye? Yeah. Uh, A great tune. It's been a bit of a switch around for you particularly, uh, Trev, because I mean, the 60s won season one and one of the comments that you kept returning to as you went through season one was this music makes me feel nostalgic for a time when I wasn't even born and you were saying that a good deal less as we went through season two yeah yeah well I think my favorite track from the 60s this time House of the Rising Sun that's one of the tracks that I think lives outside that doesn't make me think of the 60s that's just a you know, for me, a monster tune in the same way that I was saying about Kings of Leon, it lives outside of a decade. It's just there. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it didn't have the nostalgia. So I've just finished reading David Mitchell's book, not that one, author of David Mitchell's latest book, which is called Utopia Avenue. And it's basically about a fictional rock pop band set in 1967, where everything about the book is historical and real, but they've he's obviously just landed this fictional band in the middle of it. I mean, it's before I was born, but it does this incredible job of kind of evoking the music scene in London in the late 60s and in New York. And so it's, it's beautiful. If you like that sort of thing, it's it's a great read. And what I think we forget sometimes is that the 60s is not all the Beatles and the Stones and the Kinks and the Who and whatever. Just as the 80s is not all Duran Duran and Kylie Minogue, we've had instrumentals, late 50s kind of do what? A comedy record, you know. So the, the 60s was as full of random Engelbert Humperdinck because it was the Beatles and the Stones. And I think that the randomizer has thrown some of that out this time is that you kind of think that it was this golden era of music, but there was a lot of, you know, Ken Dodd and that sort of stuff around as well. I've actually, and I don't know why, I found myself quite warming to come outside. It's ridiculous, right? It's a preposterous record. But I've actually found myself humming along and I quite, the Wendy Richard bits I quite like. I think even just as a song, it's quite a chirpy, his accent is a bit stupid and whatever. I actually quite come around to it. I think in terms of stuff that I've discovered in this season that I'd never heard before, I think The Herd, I Don't Want Our Loving to Die. I like some of the other Herd stuff I listened to from the underground and some of their other stuff is really nice as well. So that was new to me. And and Last Night in Soho was quite grown on me as well. I don't really like the silly other Dave D. Dozy Bicky McIntyre stuff, but Last Night in Soho is pretty much sort of grown on me as well. But I think I agree with Trev really that it was a, even when it threw up a couple of what you would call classic tracks, they still didn't go down all that well with the voters. House of the Rising Sun, I think, being a prime example. We've had a couple of bits of Motown, but they're sort of, uh, I don't know, kind of B-list Motown, aren't they? The Four Tops, the Marvin Gaye. They're not the, as you rightly say about, they're not the immediate things you think of when you think about Motown records. So, yeah, a funny one. And a heck of a fall from top to almost bottom in the space of uh, a couple of months. Yeah. Well, unlike you two, I actually scored the 1960s quite highly during this season. There were only one point away 
from being my favourite decade. So I do have sympathy for their plight. There's only one song that I actually dislike. That's Jimmy Jones' Handyman um, on the replays in preparation for this. It just irritated me more and more and more. There are two that I love, and they are the two Motown tracks from the very first episode and the very last episode of the season, Four Tops and Marvin Gaye. That Four Tops track, If I Were a Carpenter, that was the 60s best performer, but it was narrowly beaten by Eighth Wonder. So they got unlucky there. And again, I talked about this in the finale of season one. You've got that divide between pre-Beatles 60s and post-Beatles 60s. And I've said before, I feel that's always going to drag the 1960s down. Sure enough, there are four pre-Beatles tracks here. All four of them landed in the Met Zone. Esther Wafarim, Mike Zahn, Jimmy Jones, The Shadows. But fatally, the two actual losers, both post-Beatles, that's the two Howard and Blakely tracks, Dave D and The Herd, which hasn't helped their fortunes at all. Yeah, I agree. House of the Rising Sun, you'd think that would be a classic. Only place third. And I agree with Nick. Four Tops of Marvin Gaye, classic artists. But if I were a carpenter and too busy thinking about my baby, aren't really ranked by most people amongst their best tracks, even if I personally would rank them amongst their best tracks. I still think the 60s have every chance of making a recovery in future seasons. It wouldn't surprise me if season two ultimately turns out to be their worst showing, maybe a freakish blip. But then I'm old. I was alive in the 60s. I was aware of pop music of the 1960s. Younger people, which is most people listening to this, may not share my fondness. We shall see. Stay tuned. I'm inclined to think that the whole podcast, it's about the art of making pop music. And in this season's, uh, one of the 60s selections was a tune that just is before they'd worked out what pop was. And it's that Shadows record that just baffled us all because it was just weird and wouldn't exist these days. And I think we'll find out with the results later, but there is a decade where sort of pop came of age that I think is going to perform well this time around. It was early doors, wasn't it, the 60s? And, you know, a record like Guitar Tango could get into the charts. Elevator music, I think, would be being kind about that almost. It was just baffling. And again, on the replays of Guitar Tango, it is that weird audio hallucination that it lasts about 10 minutes when it actually barely lasts two minutes. That is so bizarre. I heard it again today, and I absolutely agree with Trev. It's not the worst song of the season for me because I can get through it to the end and stuff. I just I cannot fathom how it became a top five single. I just do not understand even bad songs sometimes, you know, because the artist is famous or there are TVs. There are, there are, you can justify why a bad song became a hit in a lot of cases. But that, other than the fact it was by the shadows, who were obviously very popular at the time, I just I'm absolutely st- Daggered. That counts for a lot. I mean, think of all those Oasis songs that charted incredibly highly that really weren't their best work, the Lilas of this world. It's just that accumulated momentum. You go out and buy the new Oasis because you're on Team Oasis, and I think that happened with the Shadows as well. I remember Simon de Bon once. It's about the time I think of Union of the Snake, basically saying they're misquoted. But he said he said at that point they thought they could release a fart and it would get to number one. Hmm. So maybe there's just an element of that about guitar tango, which is essentially just a 23 minute long fart tango flavored <laughs> fart. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. 
in fourth position and this decade fell just one point short of making the top three, the 2010s. Now, the 2010s also didn't have any winners this season, but they only had one loser. That was Shout for England with Dizzy Rascal and James Corden. The 2010s were my least favourite decade, so I'll better go first. I'm actually on a bit of a journey with the 2010s right now. And I'm further along that journey than I was when we began season two a good few months ago. Last Friday, I had to play a 30th birthday party for the partner of the bar manager at the place where I have my residency. It was invitation only. We had someone on the door with a list, made me feel very exclusive. Anyway, she, this person, birthday girl, seriously into her pop music. She gave me an extremely long list of all the artists and tracks that she wanted to hear. And I looked at this list with incomprehension and dismay. There were either tracks or artists that I didn't like, or there were tracks I just had never knowingly heard. So I had to do a lot of prep. I had to acquire a whole bunch of new tunes. I had to give them a proper lesson. I had to work out how to fit them into a coherent set. Having done all that, this 30th birthday set, which was predominantly 2020 10s music, went down an absolute storm. Birthday Girl basically didn't leave the dance floor for the four hours I was playing. She was there loving it, as were all her friends. It means that I've now heard 2010s pop in its proper context, because before I was hearing 2010s pop being completely not living a life where I would encounter it socially. And I just go, oh, it's awful. It's ghastly. It's formularized. It's cheap. It all sounds the same. I've now witnessed it. And I've witnessed it also in previous Friday nights, actually being enjoyed by the very people for whom it was the soundtrack for their formative years. And that watching that makes me understand it better. So some of the tracks that, I didn't know of before or didn't think much of that just went down a storm. Pink, Raise Your Glass, Taylor Swift, 22, Calvin Harris and John Newman, Blame, Kelly Clarkson, Heartbeat Song. Um, got to add Starship's Nicki Minaj, which was an absolute sensation. Having said all that, there's still only one 2010s track from this season that I genuinely love. George Ezra, Paradise. Yeah, I like the Cardi B. I've actually grown to like the Chainsmokers and Coldplay and the Rihanna Calvin Harris a lot more than I did when we recorded the actual episode. So I might have placed those higher in retrospect. Going forward, I'm hoping that I will continue to find more to like from the 2010s in future seasons as I gradually gain familiarity with the styles of 2010s pop to the extent where they start to sound less formularized and interchangeable. That's already happening with EDM. I'm making big progress on EDM. The rant I came out with in season one is ancient history now. That's as fair as I can be to my least favourite decade. Nick, what say you? I'm disappointed with how it's done the 2010s in both seasons because I think that the music of the 2010s, when it is good, it is as good as anything. And I don't know whether we've just been slightly unlucky. It started off incredibly strongly. I mean, I scored it in the first three weeks. We had Kendrick Lamar, which I'd not really paid any attention to at the time, which I love that. 
Black Panther stuff now. I absolutely love it. Coldplay and the Chainsmokers I've always loved and George Ezra Paradise. So it started off really well. This is what I like. This is good. This is representative of 2010's good stuff. And then after that, it had four weeks of coming last in a row. I was, I think, too harsh about Cardi B. I don't really like the reggaeton element of it, but I think the song itself is, on a summer's day, perfectly fine. I actually have come round to Problem, uh, Ariana Grande Problem a little bit. I was listening to a bit of Ariana Grande the other day. I think I still feel, as we said at the time, that it feels like a product, not an artist to some degree. And I could do without the Biggie Azalea on it. But actually, I think as a pop song, it's perfectly fine. So I really think it's a shame... It's, it just sounds like a lot of old men going on modern music is rubbish and I don't want it to be like that. I would rather be much more positive about the stuff that we're hearing from the 2010s because, like I say, when it's good, it's great. Florence, I would say, was a discovery. I've never listened to Florence much because her voice has just always annoyed me immensely. But I've actually done a bit of a deeper dive into that and there's quite a lot of that that I can tolerate. So that's been... a I don't know whether discovery is the right word, but something positive that's come out of it. But yeah, just a shame. All those songs you just mentioned, by the way, that you played are absolutely fantastic. They were hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Know, Taylor Swift and Heartbeat song is brilliant. And yeah, I'm doing a thing at the moment, one of these music challenges on Twitter, where you've got to come up with your 50 favourite singles of the 21st century. And I, I started making a list. I thought, oh God, I'm, am I going to be able to get to 50? And the staggering thing that I've worked out is that so much stuff that I thought was the 90s was not, is the 2000s. And also, I'm currently on 180 and have to try and whittle it down to 50. And it's just like, this is, I could, there's no way I could do that. And lots of that is from, obviously, is from the 2010s and stuff as well. So I just think it's that we haven't found it somehow <laughs> because I do think there's tons of good stuff in there. Mm. Just a reminder, only one point short of the top three. I think our listeners really are giving the 2010s a fair hearing. It's not the automatic, the most recent decade must be the worst decade. Thank you, listeners, for being open-minded and fair-minded. Trev? This is a better performance for them than the first season, isn't it? Did they come last in the first season? Yes, they did. And I'm glad that they've not come last because, and bearing in mind, in the first season... Taylor Swift was in there and Ed Sheeran, I think. There were some of the big names. This time, we've got more of the big names. I think what's undeniable is, as it should be, as the uh, recording techniques improve, sonically, these are all very well-made songs. You know, there's a bunch that I don't particularly like. There's none that I particularly dislike. Ariana Grande washed over me, really. The Ariana track isn't one of her strongest tracks, but, you know, Rihanna's definitely got something about her, but I think she's got better dance bangers in that sort of era. But you've got George Ezra, which I think I really, really rate that Ezra track. I think the Coldplay song is very strong. I think because it's the Coldplay track with the Chainsmokers, the production values, what they've done and that, you know, it's slightly dance floor, tropical housey type thing. And it might not be to your tastes, but it's sonically pleasing even if you don't like the music, do you know what I mean? I'm happy that this is a better showing for them. And as you say, they're only just outside the top three. But yeah, it's, it's a pretty strong, you know, when you look at the artists that are in there, I don't think it's Cardi B's best moment. I don't think it's Ariana Grande's best moment. It's definitely not Dizzy Rascal's best moment. I don't think it's Rihanna's best moment. I don't think it's Kendrick Lamar's best track. But they're all there. And so, you know, with a different draw, we could probably expect more. Yeah, I certainly now think I was way too harsh on Calvin Harris in earlier episodes, I think back in season one, because by necessity, 
I've had to get to grips with quite a lot of his big hits, not least for this 30th birthday party. There's a lot more going on in those tracks than I gave him credit for. They are really well constructed and they work. All right, into the top three. Just one point ahead of the 2010s, we have the 1990s. Now, the 1990s had two winners, Don't Speak By No Doubt and Friday I'm In Love by The Cure. They also had two losers, Better The Devil You Know by Sonia. That was from our Eurovision episode. And the lowest scoring tune we've had on the whole podcast thus far, I've Got You by Martine McCutcheon. Trev, start with you. So, yeah, there's, as I said, for the 2010s, there were some tunes that washed over us. I just can't see the Martine McCutcheon song doing anything other than washing over people. We've talked about it enough. We've talked about it more than it warrants because there's actually so little to talk about it. Eagle Eye Cherry was the 90s, wasn't he? Yes. I found that really interesting because I think that's a great track and the response from other people. And, it, you know, when I've played it as DJing and I've been like, oh, it's, it's never really landed particularly well. Oh, that's because like lots of people hate it, which just amazes me. And I think that's, it's one of the reasons that I like DJing. It's also one of the reasons that it's sometimes frustrating, but that baffled me. The safer, best things in life are free, Luther and Janet. It's a tapping record. It's really, really safe. But this is pop music, and sometimes that's all it needs to do. So, yeah, it's um, a decent set of tunes. And the Martine song, it's not a stinker. It's bad because it's so nothingy. Is that an indictment? I would say it's better to have a bad song than to have a beige song, really. I have really have found... The results for, for this decade, some of them really, really, I, I can't describe to you. I could have fallen off my chair when you oh. gave the kick in. <laughs> you gave to Equalite Cherry. I love that song. <laughs> Nick? I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. A really interesting word that you just used there, Trev, which is safe. And I think that if you were to throw a word at the 10 songs that we've had from the 90s in this season, it is that they are all safe. There's nothing here particularly that's progressing the future sound of music. It's a lot of radio-friendly, melodic, if not boring is not quite the word I mean, but very safe, you know, wet, 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 rock set, that eagle-eyed cherry song, you know, even Steps, No Doubt, The Cure. None of it is particularly groundbreaking stuff. It's all radio-friendly never been off the radio since it was released and i think that's maybe why it's not done quite as well because there's no standout did we call anything here in the 90s a classic track i don't think we really did maybe the no doubt one but there's nothing here that stands out as an example of the best of a genre or something that was doing something different or whatever there's stuff in here that i think is fine that i like i've always like i said at the time been a rock set fan always been a steps fan but i totally understand why people don't get it or they don't like it because it is average and i think that's why it's taken a step backwards from how well they did in this first season just because there's nothing really to hate like trev says you can't hate the martin mccutcher song it's not a terrible song it's just incredibly forgettable and that's my overriding thoughts about the stuff that we've heard over the last two weeks is just that that it's just a little bit radio Two vanilla I think you made a really good point there, Nick. I was just looking through the list. You're absolutely right. There's no milestones here. Yeah, nothing that moves it forward. I don't think this is a great 
showcase for the best of the 1990s. Like the nearest we get to Britpop is The Cure, who aren't. The nearest we get to a dance anthem is Luther and Janet. In their place, we've got two power ballads, one of which I actually like for once. So I think that actually is a classic of the genre. Uh, we got the mediocre AOR, Eagle Eye Cherry, decent hip hop from LL Cool J, great pop from Steps, bad pop from Sonia and Marty, and an absolutely gigantic smash hit from Wet Wet Wet, which has mysteriously stood the test of time. Third place feels about right for the 1990s this time around. They did do better than season one. They finished second in season one. Could they be the winners of a future season? I reckon that is totally achievable. I can see it happening. I think in this lot of, you know, from all the decades, I've mentioned we've had some, what I would say are just pop standards. Two Tribes, Yazoo, and I think Steps, last thing in my mind, gets in there, you know, as a just... What do you want pop music to sound like? That's absolutely what it is. A track I'd like to mention is the LL Cool J one, because I've kept thinking about that. And an awful lot of the time, hip hop's about what a bad man I am and what a great car I've got and what expensive wheels I've got and look at all the crimes that I've done to achieve this. And obviously that's not actually what hip hop's about. That's the Daily Mail opinion of hip hop. And the lyrical content of LL Cool J, it's not, one of my favourite tracks by LL Cool J by a long, long distance. But the lyrical content of it is great. That has grown on me. I wasn't, I don't think I was aware of this tune at the time. And as a piece of like poetry, really, you know, he's telling a story. And I, I think it does a very good job of that. As I said, it's not my cup of tea, this. But as an advertisement for, you know, the more wholesome side of hip hop, I would say that's a good shout. I still think it's scandalous that the wonderful gospel choir on that LL Cool J track have never been credited and their identities remain a mystery because I think that's a very big part of that track as well as the great lyrics. I've actually got Father written down in my notes here as well because I'm not a massive hip-hop LL Cool J fan, but I think it's a brilliantly used sample and I agree with Trev that it's actually a very interesting uh, lyrical content and stuff and I think it works really, really well. The other thing I've got written down here, which is... I think we said at the time, utterly bonkers for a song that was number one for 16 weeks and never off the radio. Is that having rediscovered Love Is All Around? I mean, obviously, it's never been away, but having to sit down and actually listen to it properly and analyse it for the purposes of talking about it, it's been really lovely. It's a, it's a great record. I think that's an occasion where we've been a bit out of step with our listeners because most of the comments for the where 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 were oh. God, not this thing again. They never liked it and they don't like it now. So mm. we don't always chime in with our wonderful listeners, which is totally healthy. Right. Second place. Six points ahead of the 1990s. So it's a comfortable second place. And that goes to the 1970s. Now, the 1970s had three winners. From the Eurovision episode, we had RF2 by Mossadadis. Then we had All Right Now by Free and Gangsters by the Special AKA. But they also had three losers. That's Susie Quattro, If You Can't Give Me Love, Shawadiwadi with When, and Donny Osmond with Puppy Love. So that makes them our most polarising decade, because six times out of ten, you either loved them or you hated them. Not a lot of middle ground. So... I think it's been a really 
interesting mix from the 70s because there's stuff that is terrible i was listening to the playlist of all the songs from the episode today and there was only a couple of songs i ever had to skip and when by shawaddy waddy was absolutely one of them Mm. just can't stand it terrible but then a couple of my sort of favorite i don't know what you call them like discoveries of the series so eris 2 nosodardis was a song i didn't really know what beautiful song that is i'd never really come across that before she obviously a song that everybody knows it's lovely that isn't it it's beautiful and then probably what has been my favourite song of the entire season, which was just hearing Andrew Gold's Never Let Us Slip Away Again, which I just absolutely adore. And so nice of that to pop up. And it is, like we said at the time, it's incredibly uncool, I think. Or maybe it's the epitome of cool. I don't really know. So they came third, I think, didn't they, in season one and second today. I think there is a future winner in the 70s. I think they will win at some point. I think there'll be enough good stuff that will carry them over the line. But yeah, a really interesting mix of kind of schmaltz, proto-punk, ska, easy listening, kind of all sorts this time around. And yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it's personality heavy. So you've got pub rock, if you like, with free. Uh, then you've got the proto punk stuff. You've got the scar. You've got these two tracks, Andrew Gold. I guess I was aware of Andrew Gold, but I don't know that I'd ever properly listened. And what an outstanding record that is. It's been really a discovery for me because then you go on and listen to his other stuff. And also, uh, she, what an absolutely wonderful track that is. And then you've got Like Em or Loathe Em. You know, Shawadi Wadi's got a lot of personality in there. It's, uh, you know, maybe <laughs> it wasn't the best executed. And even the Susie Quattro track, I didn't enjoy that particularly. But there's definitely, there's all something there. It was pop music was starting to work out how to do it. There was something to say about every one of these tracks. And I do think in three of them, three and she and Andrew Gold, you've got monsters that could have easily won it really it must have been a strong decade that goes on to win he said having already worked out what it is (laughs) that's a really good point you make there about personality trev just looking down this you're right all of them even the ones i don't like much have got personality to them and that includes donny osmond he really sells that song i think that yearning quality thing is whether you look at chart pop or whether you look at all the music that's made away from the charts The 1970s are my desert island decade. I'm also aware that as I get older, the 1970s are no longer the classic consensus pick that they used to be not that long ago. That baton has been well and truly passed to our winner. And I see this on my Friday nights. I started off playing almost nothing but late 70s classic disco and it five years ago did really well right across the generations now it's become markedly less popular over the last five years it's got to the point where i barely feature the 1970s in my peak time at all this 1970s that's the decade that a lot of the younger contestants on the hit list struggle with as like for them this is just like ancient history it's long before they were born so it poses the question, where does that leave the 1970s for future seasons? Will the timeless classics have to do all of the heavy lifting? And if so, are there enough of them to go around? It's a strange selection for me because a number of the key genres of that decade are missing. There's no disco. There's no soul. There's no glam rock. 
There's no punk unless you count the Boomtown Rats, which I most certainly don't. <laughs> but yeah, you've got great stuff from Andrew Gold, Lindisfarne, Free, Charles Asnafor, The Specials. Those genre gaps have been well filled by lots of really excellent material. You know, when we've done in the previous season, you know, we talk about oh, the big guns and uh, do the big guns turn up, uh, you know, where they're getting brought out by the randomizer. I think, you know, if you were to go or oh, tracks that are guaranteed to win, I think there's only one there that you'd just put right down and you go free. All right. Now that's a big track. If you were mm. to pick 20 tracks that you think would have a really good showing in which decade is top of pops from all of the ones this season from the seventies, I only think you've got one there. I, I can't see Andrew Gold or the She Record coming in and then they turn up and that's where the randomizer is so brilliant because it is tracks that you wouldn't, I wouldn't have remembered them. And then you hear them, you go, oh, wow, yeah. So I think it's a strong performance with surprise tracks, really. Yeah, it's like one of our listeners, we mentioned this in the, in the previous results bulletin, who let out a yelp of excitement when Sowing the Seeds for Love by Tears for Fears came up. Oh, I've not heard yeah, that in ages. Man. Yeah. Right. Well, this leaves just one decade. And this decade has been in first position right the way through the season, from the very first episode to the very last episode, with a winning margin of 11 points over their nearest rival. It is an absolutely storming victory for the 1980s, rendered all the more impressive because the 1980s only finished fourth in season one. Every single 1980s tune this season has finished in the top three. No mezzo, no losers. Five of them have won their episodes. I'll list them. I'm Not Scared, Eighth Wonder, Theme from S Express, Two Tribes by Frankie, I Don't Want to Talk About It, Everything But The Girl, Don't Go Yazoo. It almost goes without saying that this was Nick's favourite decade, but it was also my favourite decade, and it was also Trev's favourite decade. So we are of one accord on the majesty of the 1980s in this season. It's a good one, isn't it? I wasn't particularly aware, I don't think, of uh, Eighth Wonder. So that was a nice one to get into my ears. But then living in a box, you go, yeah, that's S Express. Tight fit, I thought was a pleasant surprise. The Roberta Flat Donny Hathaway tune. And then you're into pop standards. Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Yazoo and the Tears for Fears tune as well. It's very, very strong. It had all the excitement of a foregone conclusion because when you look at the, on paper, you would go without a doubt, that's going to win. And that's what's happened. And great tunes are going to perform, aren't they? And these, there really are some good ones here. So in the first season, 80s came forth. And I think one of the reasons for that is that the randomizer, I think as we said at the time, the the biggest star of the 10 songs that we covered in uh, season one was Nick Kershaw. If you look at the artists and stuff, he was what you would consider the biggest name or the biggest star there. Whereas in season two, you've had some absolute kind of stalwarts of 80s music, haven't you? You've had your Vince Clarks, your Frankies, uh, Tears for Fears, you know, a number one in S Express and stuff. So I'm Not Scared is brilliant. I believe the Pet Shop Boys wrote that on the same day or in the same session that they wrote Love Comes Quickly. What a day that was. When we covered The Lion Sleeps Tonight and I went on a deep dive through Tight Fit at that time, thought they were a novelty throwaway, stupid pop band. But having had to listen to Fantasy Island again, I love that. For a knockoff, rejected Eurovision song, 
it's a really good little pop record. Again, it doesn't push any boundaries or anything, I think, but actually it's a really catchy little record. I think the surprise, discovery, not that it's an obscure song or anything, but hearing everything but the girls, I don't want to talk about it. I listened to it again today. It's so beautifully done. She sounds so good. It suits them so perfectly. And that's a song I didn't like at the time because I felt it was clogging up the charts from Kylie and Jason and Rick Astley and the stuff that I did like. So that's been really lovely. So the randomizer is the randomizer and the stuff comes up by chance. But God, it's picked some heavyweights this time, hasn't it? Absolutely. The magic randomizer has smiled kindly upon the 1980s this season, as evidenced by the fact that every single track placed in the top three. It's a dud-free list. Yeah, Ofra Hazer and Tight Fit are cheesy, but they're cheesy in a good way. And as for everything else on the list, I'm going to deploy my father-in-law's highest term of praise. When my father-in-law really approves of something, he goes, that's quality. And the 80s list basically oozes quality. If the 90s were safe and the 70s were personality, then the the word that sums up the 80s this time is quality. The 1980s, they're now everybody's consensus pick pretty much as the classic decade around which we can all coalesce. But just like the 1970s before them, this cannot last forever. And the 1990s could be waiting in the wings to take over in a few years' time if we are still doing this podcast. So the 1980s should not rest on their laurels. I put it to you. Other than that, not a lot I can say about it other than, yay, brilliant, well done, well deserved. I had an extremely entertaining few days watching old Eurovision Song Contests on YouTube. So watching the 1982, I think, contest in full that we covered was just brilliant. An absolute highlight of the last 10 weeks was watching a 40-year-old Eurovision Song Contest as if it was live. Oh, it was brilliant. (laughs) Loved it. Interesting one, that Eurovision special, because um, Nick, you and I absolutely love doing it. Trev wasn't available. We got Chris in. He absolutely loved doing it. It actually polled the lowest number of votes of any episode this season. Don't get me wrong. It got decent listening figures, but fewer people were minded to vote on Eurovision than any other. It was an interesting thing having the Eurovision in there because it just sort of changed the dynamic a little bit. But I was terrified when I was like, oh, Christ. And I've only recently got into Eurovision, but I was like, oh, God. And then when it turned out, I couldn't do it. I think it would be unfair to say relief, but there was certainly a degree of get out of jail free there. Yeah, I just just can't remember. Sorry. (laughs) I've not got to wade through those. Okay, I'm going to go around the table with getting you to nominate tracks in various categories. First of all, I want to know everybody's favourite tune. Nick, which was your favourite tune? I've got to go for Andrew Gold. I'm with Dave Grohl, one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written. Trev, how about you? My personal favourite is Darude Sandstorm. I think she is the better song, but music subjective and I always want to subject myself to Darude Sandstorm. I've been trying to split Darude Sandstorm with Luther and Janet, the best things in life are free. And I was going to give it to Darude, but thinking about it now, 
you've got to be in the right mood for Darude Sandstorm, and you're not always in the right mood for Darude Sandstorm, but I am always in the right mood for Lutheran Janet's CJ Macintosh UK remix of The Best Things in Life are Free, so I'm giving it to Lutheran Janet. Okay, how about everybody's least favourite tune, Nick? Yeah, that's a slightly more tricky one because there's stuff that I really didn't like at the time. Having listened to it again, I've actually, I actually feel slightly warmer towards almost all of it. You know, the Cardi B, the ironic, the stuff that I really didn't like at the time. Like I said earlier, I still can't fathom how Guitar Tango made the charts at the risk of labouring this point. <laughs> um, but I think my least favourite record is Shout by Dizzy Rascal and James Corden, even though I've slightly come round to that a little bit. The pull your finger out England aspect of it, I do sort of get. But if you had to give me one of these songs I could never hear again, that would be it. Trev, your least favourite. An honourable mention to Gareth Gates, because lyrically, I just very much object to the, oh, I'm hardly to blame for infidelity. Uh, (laughs) But a track that I would cross the road to avoid listening to, because I haven't got the time, is uh, (laughs) Guitar Tango, because it's just going to eat up your day. Um, (laughs) It lasts so very, very long. The Rango Mariachi players are sort of shuffling off into the wings now with very hurt looks on their faces. My least favourite, it switched around a bit. I was convinced all the way through most of the season, ever since it came up, that my least favourite track would be Escape by Enrique Iglesias on the basis of a dull tune is worse than a bad tune. Then I thought, no, 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 no. It's got to be Martin McCutcheon and whatever that track is called, because once again, I cannot remember what the Martin McCutcheon track is called. I've got you. That's it. I've got you. It's Sonny and Cher minus the babe. That's my mnemonic for Martin. But I've changed my mind again during the recording of this episode. And it's thanks to what Nick says, because I now realise my least favourite tune in this season is the one that I actually do have to skip whenever it comes on, as I've discovered doing the prep for this. Shuadiwadi when cannot bear to listen to it now at all. They get my golden raspberry. Next category, which track has been your best discovery of this season? Nick. There was very little over the course of these 60 songs that I'd never heard before. It was We kept getting classic tracks and stuff that was a big hit. So there's actually very little. There's a part of me that wants to say Come Outside by Mike Zarni and Wendy Richard, which is something I had never heard before and have found myself having some affection towards, despite it being preposterous. But I think I will say I don't want to talk about it. Obviously, it's a song that I knew, a nerve version that I knew, but just hadn't heard it for years and think it's brilliant. Okay. Trev, your best discovery. So I've constantly dodged trying to say his second name, Charles Aznavour. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just as a song that I was aware of, but I wasn't aware of how aware of I was, I think is brilliant. Eighth Wonder. That was a, oh, right, yeah, I do know this. And wow. Oh, and, and oh my God, Patsy Kenzie and look at it watch that video but i I think really the one that's giving me the warm feels is the andrew gold track because it's just really positive and it makes me smile just thinking about it i've got a few honorable mentions here so um there were a couple of tracks that were 
great rediscoveries in that it turns out they were way better than I had them filed away in my memory banks as being. And those two were Tears of Fear, Sowing the Seeds of Love, and Lindisfarne, Lady Eleanor. As for best track that's basically new to me before tackling the episode, George Ezra's Paradise comes very close. I love that. But my number one best discovery is the very first track from the very first episode of season two, and that's The Four Tops, If I Were a Carpenter. Stunning piece of music, that. Are there any tracks that you have changed your mind about, either positively or negatively, since we first recorded the episode? Nick? Oh, that's an interesting one. So, I've, like I say, I've slightly come around to a bit of the latest stuff. So the ironic one, I think the, uh, the sentiment of the chorus, uh, more than his delivery, I think, I've come around to. The Cardi B one, again, I think is fun. I think was maybe slightly unfair on that. I could again. I'm not a huge fan of the kind of J Balvin Bad Bunny stuff, but I think as a chirpy, if I was sitting on the beach in a bar having a cocktail and it came on, I think you'd be perfectly happy with that. So maybe those two. And the other thing is, just from season one to season two, Fantasy Island has been on quite a journey. From God, this is throwaway nonsense to actually, I quite what a good pop song this is. <laughs> Trev, how about you? I remain gobsmacked about people's opinion on Eagle Eye Cherry. And it's not changed my opinion, but I'm a DJ and it's important that I play music that people like. And it has made me a couple of times go, ah, do you know what? And I mean, that's that's not a tune that I would generally play more than once a year. But then because it's in my head and I'm like, oh, do you maybe that? And then go, not everybody feels the same way that I feel about that. So there was that. Uh, and I was also, I was surprised by the lacklustre response, should we say, to House of the Rising Sun, because I, I think that's stunning. And, you know, nobody seemed to hate it, but uh, it didn't get the stand innovation that I would expect. So it's not changed my opinion of them but it's been interesting to find other people's opinions of things that I just thought were tappings, solid wins. Okay, there are two that I've changed my mind about, both in a positive way and both from the EDM end of the spectrum. That would be the Chainsmokers and Coldplay and Rihanna's track with Calvin Harris, way better than my rather glib dismissals of them at the time might suggest. I think it's time we took our first look at the motherboard. The motherboard is where we feed in the results of each season. And the motherboard in time will be the ultimate arbiter of which decade truly is tops or pops. Now, for those of you who care about process, which is probably just me, but I'm going to tell you anyway, the scoring system for the motherboard is the same scoring system we do. Three, two, one, met minus one by doing that it gives a fair shout to all of our decades as the seasons progress so it's a bit silly to look at the motherboard after just two seasons but i will anyway because it's in quite a bizarre state our fledgling motherboard in that two decades are tying for last place and four decades are tying for first place so time for last place our two most recent decades 2000s and 2010s both with minus one point Time for first place, all with three points, are the four earlier decades, 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. So we are a very long way from establishing which decade is tops or pops. Only one thing for it, but a crack open a new season then, eh? 
So we will be back in about three weeks' time. Brand new season, master scoreboard reset, game on. Good luck to all our decades. Best of British. <laughs> if this uh, motherboard is going to get to sort of any scientific level of input, uh, yeah. let's have some more subscribers. If we're doing this for years, I want subscribers. Come on. Absolutely. Patreon.com forward slash which decade tops. Let's get those numbers into double figures. Smash that subscribe button. Is that how you supposed to do it? I'm not sure. <laughs> Dare to dream. Yeah, dare to dream. All right, so for now, it's goodbye from Nick Parkhouse. Goodbye. Goodbye from DJ Trev. Ta-ra. And goodbye from me. Ta-ra. Perhaps we should advertise on Skibbity Toilet. Which decade is Tops for Pops?